there is a lot of uh, stigma towards drug users themselves and towards programs that help them. In our country, there is a view uh, that if you uh, use drugs, then you are a weak person. You do not have a disease, I don't know, you do not have a disorder. Uh, you are just a weak and immoral person. And so be it. <laughs> You're listening to Narcotica, a podcast giving you the straight dope about drugs and the people who use them. The last place you'd want to be dependent on drugs, besides the Philippines, North Korea, or <laughs> the United States, is probably Russia. To give just one example, the motherland has long banned the use of medication-assisted treatment, such as buprenorphine or methadone, which has made recovery next to impossible for many users. Like many northern regions, Russia has a long history with alcoholism. But when the USSR went to war with Afghanistan in 1979, heroin came on the scene in a big way as returning soldiers brought opiates home with them. Meanwhile, authoritarian crackdowns on people who use drugs led to some notorious innovations, such as the drug Crocodile, a nasty little bathtub variety of the opioid desomorphine that in some cases literally ate users alive. Due to some really garbage backyard synthesis, contaminants in the drug, including things like iodine and red phosphorus, caused the drug to become associated with amputations, ulceration, and scale-like skin, hence the name Crocodile. This homemade injectable opioid has since given way to synthetic drugs like fentanyl and synthetic cannabinoids, much like those that have landed in the United States. Yet with its proximity to China, where many synthetic drugs are manufactured, the synthetic revolution in Russia could make the heroin haze of the 1980s and 90s pale in comparison. I'm Troy Farah, and you're listening to Narcotica. To discuss the challenges of conducting harm reduction in Russia, Narcotica co-host Christopher Moraff, our expert in Kensington, Pennsylvania, sat down with a special guest from St. Petersburg. Rather than mangle his name, I will let him introduce himself to you. My name is Alexey Lakov. I am from St. Petersburg, Russia, and I am working in the oldest harm reduction program in Russia. It is called the Charitable Fund Humanitarian Action. Thanks for being on the show. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the state of harm reduction in Russia today? As for the new HIV cases, the HIV rates have been stabilizing for the last couple of years, though those numbers are still huge. For example, in 2019, we had more than 80,000 new cases, and I think this is like an enormous figure. And in 2018, we had almost 100,000 cases. So basically, the rates are declining, but they are still huge, man. I mean, uh, 80,000 new cases per year. I don't know, according to the official data of the Ministry of Health, we have about 900,000 people living with HIV. And according to other specialists, we have at least 1.3 million people living with HIV. So basically... Approximately 300,000 people do not know their HIV status. And I think that this situation uh, should be changed, should change. Otherwise, we will have a full-blown epidemic. So here in Pennsylvania, even, you know, in, in, in the states, there's many, many states, counties. And in Pennsylvania, most of the state 
needle exchange is still illegal. Mm-hmm. Is is needle exchange um, against the law in Russia? Technically, it is not against the law, although we can always be prosecuted. Uh, for example, if our actions are deemed uh, as propaganda, for example, as drug use propaganda. But uh, we have several amendments to our criminal code that stipulate that uh, needle exchange, it is like not uh, a law violation. So basically, the substitution therapy is uh, prohibited because uh, methadone and buprenorphine are prohibited. But needle exchange is technically legal in our country. Wow. Uh, one area where you're more progressive than most of the states. Um, <laughs> but uh, naloxone distribution is only legally, as you said, if it's prescription-based. What we have here is called like an open prescription, whereas just about the, the policymakers have deemed it you know, reasonable to just say, mm-hmm. everyone gets an open prescription. You can go into a pharmacy and buy it if your family member is you know, using drugs and, or using opioids and you want to prevent overdoses. But that's not the case for you. Uh, no, though you know naloxone, it's at, at, at least uh, our pharmacy, pharmacies they understand what naloxone is for, and basically they just can <clears throat> sell it to you even if you do not have a prescription. For example, uh, <laughs> first you need to find it because not uh, not every <laughs> pharmacy has it in stock, but if you managed to find it, then. Uh, Practically all the pharmacies would uh, sell it to you just because they understand that you can't use it for anything else but uh, reversing overdose. So you haven't encountered there the sort of reverse moral hazard argument that we have here where there's an opposition to naloxone based on the fact that it makes people more reckless. Is that a conversation or a dialogue that that comes up in, in your country? Well, actually, uh, I haven't heard such conversations just because, well, uh, the public talk about uh, people who use drugs, it's very conservative and it's very rigid, in my opinion. So basically, uh, the main line, so to speak, is uh, that drug users should be either incarcerated or put into the rehab. And actually, not a week ago, one of our State Duma deputies, this is a, like a lawmaking body, mm-hmm. uh, proposed that uh, people who use drugs, they uh, should have a choice, basically. Uh, either you are incarcerated, or if you do not want to receive treatment, then you are incarcerated as well. <laughs> so basically, it's no choice uh, for right. a drug user, and uh, he wants to adopt this law. I hope it won't be adopted, but at least we have such talks right now. As for naloxone, it is not a commonly used, uh, I don't know, medication. And I think you should try to find any mentions in mass media or in, uh, I don't know, or in some uh, blogs or on social media about naloxone just because it is not widely used in Russia, actually. Interesting. Yeah, it is used uh, only by uh, non-governmental organizations uh, that provide people with naloxone or by the paramedics that arrive if someone overdosed. Yeah, that's been the biggest game changer here is the open prescription because prior to that it was just police officers or paramedics that, that were doing uh, reversals and now just about every drug user in Philadelphia it has, has naloxone on them. 
but but you know it's interesting that you know you're not so much more backward than than we are because we have low ranking <laughs> state lawmakers here that are proposing bills for for involuntary commitment for drug users based on such arbitrary criteria as if you have more than three track marks on your arms. Now, uh-huh. fortunately, not, none of them have passed that I know of, but um, it's you know, it, the rhetoric here is that we are treating drug users as people who have a disease, but they're still very much criminalized. And I guess I would ask you, so, you know, unlike America that has many states that have many laws, Russia is unified and, and under under the Putin um May I say regime? What would Vladimir Putin's, you know, sort of official stance be on this? Would it be that there are no drug users in, in Russia? Or <laughs> uh, no, actually, he accepts that the, the, there is such a problem and he publicly men- mentions it, but he doesn't want to change the anti-narcotics uh, laws. So basically, he um, thinks that the current system, it's useful, it is not outdated, and so basically he doesn't want to, to change it. And so if uh, he doesn't want to change it, then <laughs> no other lawmaker would like to change it. So basically this is like, for us, it's a, a lose-lose situation, basically just because you can put your suggestions, I don't know, you can write official letters, uh, and they will be reviewed, but uh, Nothing will come out of it, actually, just because the Kremlin doesn't want to change these laws. And so, basically, uh, you, you, you have correctly mentioned that we are like uh, unified, and uh, the political system, uh, though it is similar to the one that you have, but uh, I think our federal center is uh, more uh, influential than uh, in your country. So St. Peter couldn't just unilaterally choose of its own accord to legalize maintenance therapy. I mean, that, that would be that would be challenged. Yes, of course, uh, it will be challenged just because we have a lot of different decrees, laws uh, regulating this area. So basically, to <laughs> to try to I don't know adopt substitution therapy program uh, in St. Petersburg, we would have to. I don't know, put a lot of efforts into it, and uh, I still think that it should be decided at the highest level, not at the level of our city administration, but uh, at the higher level. I can understand why. I mean, we live, I, I live in a state where needle exchange is legal within Philadelphia County, but as soon as you get outside of it, it's not. And, you know, marijuana is decriminalized in Philadelphia County, but if you're unlucky enough to be across the street on the other side of the county, you know, you could go to jail. So uh, how about buprenorphine? Is, is that discussed at all? Is it, is, do pe- most people know what that is? Uh, yes, people know what that is, but it's still illegal. Uh, we have several uh, narcotic substance, substances, and methadone is in the list uh, number one, and buprenorphine is uh, in the list number two. Uh, so they basically they are illegal. But you have doctors say that are more progressive that are willing to take a radical stance on this and um, treat, even though it's against the law. Or are doctors conservative as well? Uh, but if it is prohibited, then you can go to jail if you start yeah. uh, treating with it. So of course we have quite a lot of progressive doctors actually uh, who publicly state that we need such treatment. 
but uh, they can do nothing about it. They can just uh, talk about it, actually. And if they try to implement any such thing, then uh, they just can go to jail. Let's talk about the flip side of this, and that would be the prescription pain medication. Um, America consumes more prescription pain medication, I think, alone than the rest of the world. Have pain patients, people that are prescribed opioids for their chronic pain or acute pain, have they faced the blowback that, that sort of they have in our country from, uh, you know, the stigmatization of mood-altering recreational drugs? Yes, of course. The main painkiller, for example, for uh, for patients with uh, oncology, it's morphine. And of course, when the laws became uh, strict in regards to prescribing morphine and so forth, so the doctors, they just started to delay prescribing people with uh, morphine to ease their pain. And so basically, people just started to commit suicides because they just couldn't bear this pain. And actually there was a public outcry when a prominent Russian admiral, I think, uh, from the Russian Navy, he just committed suicide and he wrote uh, in his suicide note that he just couldn't stand this pain anymore and nobody could provide him with uh, morphine. And so basically that, that was the reason why he committed suicide. And, oh, we, have, okay. yeah, and we had several such uh, cases and only after that the laws were uh, eased a little bit. And now people, uh, people who are on palliative care, uh, they uh, can be prescribed with morphine or with um, these blasters. I don't know for sure what they, what they contain. Maybe, uh, I doubt it is fentanyl, but maybe these are uh, morphine blasters as well. So basically now the situation has changed for the better, but still just several years ago, it was really horrible. So because, because doctors were afraid that if, if they lose, uh, for example, uh, one unit of morphine, then they can be jailed or then can be persecuted or wow. then can, they can be fined. And yeah, it, it really was a problem. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was at UNGAS in, uh, in the UN meeting last in, in New York. There was uh, some signatories to a, a paper that called for the death penalty for drug dealers. Do drug dealers face the death penalty in Russia currently? Uh, no, no, we do not have death penalty at all. So basically, the maximum uh, prison term is life sentence, and the maximum prison term for... Uh, Drug selling it's 20 years, I believe. Russia yeah. does not have the death penalty? Yes, yes. And in the U.S., we still, we still do. I'd like everybody to just rethink that for a second, let that, let that sink in. Um, <laughs> prior to um, talking, we discussed a bit about the um, evolution of drug use and the types of drugs that are being abused currently in St. Petersburg. First of all, why don't you describe the population you deal with? In Philadelphia, the population I'm accustomed to, you know, being around and reporting the most on are, are mostly homeless, people that are at the, at the worst of their, their bottom. And much of it is caused by the policies that we have, of course, more than the drugs themselves. Um, is there a high population of homeless drug addicts? And are there functional drug users, as, as, as we would call them here? Actually, I uh, uh, was in the USA uh, several years ago, in 2017, and uh, we visited several states and different programs, 
And actually, uh, I saw the difference between uh, people who use drugs in our country and people in your country and in Canada as well, because I saw by myself several harm reduction programs in Canada as well, in Toronto area. And so I can compare it to the situation that we have uh, here in Russia, at least in St. Petersburg. And I think that the majority of people who use drugs here they are functional drug users, so to speak. So they have a home, I don't know, uh, some of them have uh, work, so they uh, receive welfare, they are on welfare. Okay. But, but as for the homeless population, actually, I think that th there were no surveys, no uh, research uh, on this topic, but according to our observation, uh, not a lot of homeless people use drugs, actually. And uh, if they do use anything, they just uh, drink alcohol, more alcoholics, so to speak. Uh, of course, alcohol, we, we consider a drug. And, and I'd like to step back to when there was a high rate of deaths due to um, sort of like adulterated vodka. If I, uh, I don't know how long ago this was, but no, I imagine Russia is awash in vodka. But um, <laughs> why were people why were people dying from it? Uh, yes, we did have adulterated vodka and some other uh, liquors, and I believe this problem is still not solved. But at least for for the last couple of years, there haven't been so much, so many reports on uh, deaths from the adulterated alcohol or uh, some other things. Uh, so basically, I think that <laughs> uh, maybe ethanol became cleaner or something like that. <laughs> or, Was it a function of uh, just businessmen sort of just make and label whatever they wanted, I mean, um, and sell it cheaper? Was it, you know, was it, was it, was it an issue of, of cost primarily? Um, I think yes. And uh, though the cost of alcohol is uh, steadily increasing in our country, uh, it is the government decision to increase the prices. So to discourage people from uh, using alcohol. And actually, this, uh, actually these measures uh, bear fruit because uh, according to the latest statistics, I believe uh, that uh, uh, less and less people in Russia uh, drink alcohol, actually. And so basically, this is uh, like a great achievement, in my opinion, because I believe that less and less people will die uh, from uh, adulterated alcohol or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, of course, people who do not have money, they they will still buy these adulterated liquors, and uh, of course, they will still uh, die from it. And uh, this this problem is far from over. So. So you've seen a spike in novel psychoactive substances much in the way we have here, and yet you are very close to one of the largest growing regions of opium poppy. Um, one of the mythologies of people that aren't educated on this topic in America is that we get a lot of heroin from Afghanistan, and that's actually not true. Um, most of that goes to Europe, and I, I had assumed uh, places like Iran, which ironically has a fairly progressive stance on addiction treatment, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and Russia. But uh, are you seeing a decline in in heroin, uh, you know, organic heroin from poppy, and an increase in uh, novel psychoactive substances? Yes, you are absolutely correct. 
I don't know what is the reason for this, but actually we, uh, we saw, uh, I don't know, a huge decline in uh, heroin use uh, all over Russia. And maybe uh, it was connected to, I don't know, uh, to the work that the federal uh, service, it, it has been, this service uh, has been disbanded actually, but when it was uh, working, one of, one of its greatest achievements was to stop uh, heroin traffic uh, in Russia. But, so it was interdiction, interdiction based, basically, you know, to, to, inter, to interdict uh, uh, heroin coming across the border from Afghanistan. Yeah, maybe from Afghanistan, from Tajikistan, from Uzbekistan, from the uh, Central Asian republics where we received this heroin from. But we still have the problem with methadone, a synthetic methadone that is uh, injected as well. And uh, this is one of the biggest problems for St. Petersburg, for example, because we have uh, a lot of uh, laboratories in the nearby region, in the Leningrad Oblast, it is called. And uh, this methadone is being produced there, and it is uh, shipped not only into St. Petersburg, but also to other regions of Russia as well. It's very interesting. So you have a black market for methadone yes, yes. That's, that's, that's illicitly produced. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I would say the only benefit of that would be that it's long acting, whereas here we, the, the, the fentanyl, as it came into Philadelphia, we've seen people getting sick very short term, having to reuse. So you would say that, 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 that black market methadone is, is, um, is an issue right now? Yes, this is an issue right now, and also uh, we have uh, huge issues with different substances, such as new psychoactive substances, such as methadone, such as uh, bath salts, uh, like MDPV or uh, alpha PVP or synthetic uh, cannabinoids. And no, and also we have uh, we have a lot of people who use uh, hashish or marijuana. Uh, a lot of people who use MDMA and MDMA, MA and amphetamine. And uh, as for St. Petersburg, this is uh, basically, I don't know, the capital of synthetic stimulants right now. So you have more of a party city kind of than a... <laughs> I mean, it sounds like those are the types of drugs people use to go out to the clubs. Um, is Describe St. Petersburg to me. Is it, cosmo is it a cosmopolitan city? Um, is it a city where... There are a lot of a lot of nightlife, that kind of thing. Uh, yes, uh, I would describe it as a cosmopolitan city. We have a lot of different uh, nightclubs and a lot of nice parties. But but by synthetic stimulants, I meant these salts, because mm -hmm. uh, of course we have people who use amphetamines. We have people who use MDMA, but uh, mainly more and more young people aged. Uh, 18 to 25, or even 16 to 25 to 30, they use method methadone. They use these uh, alpha PVP and PPV, and uh, these drugs. It, it turns out to be that they are uh, addictive after all, mm -hmm. and uh, people just uh, at first they start uh, snorting these drugs, then they start injecting. Uh, of course, uh, they start overdosing uh, and. Basically, this is a huge problem right now. So are you able to carry naloxone yourself? And have you uh, been able to use it to reverse overdoses? 
Mm, no, uh, actually not once in my life I uh, used it on someone else. But we provide uh, naloxone on our mobile units, and so people, they just thank us for that, because uh, when they go back to their apartments and where they uh, use uh, drugs, they can reverse this uh, overdose, and of course there were a lot of positive feedback on this, because people really saved lives. So what is the average age of the, um, you know, the opioid user in, in St. Petersburg? Um, we found that with the increase in overdoses, there's been a sort of a trend away from opioids for the younger people that may be turning towards stimulants. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but there's still a population of older users that are um, have been out there for a long time that are finding themselves now addicted to fentanyl and fentanyl analogs. And is, is a similar thing occurring there? Yes, actually, there is a similar thing occurring in uh, St. Petersburg and uh, in a lot of other regions of Russia. Uh, of course, the average age of our clients who use methadone, for example, is 37 years. So basically, these are people who started using when they were in their 20s, in their teens, and so they just keep on using uh, since that time. And as for the younger generation, they use stimulants. Maybe. Now, would you say that the methadone use may be a form of self-maintenance, or, or is it is it abuse in your in your eyes? Uh, you know, well, I mean, uh, mm-hmm, yes, I I, I uh, got your point. And uh, when we had a lot of heroin, uh, methadone uh, was uh, considered to be I don't know like a drug, like a medication that you can really uh, use to withdraw uh, from heroin. But when uh, heroin disappeared, people started uh, to abuse methadone. And now they have a methadone dependency. And it's really horrible as well, because actually it's harder to kick off the methadone habit. Mm-hmm. So here in the States, there's a sort of a split in the harm reduction community. There are one side is takes the stance of we meet people where they are, and our job is to reduce the harm of drug use, not with the end goal necessarily of getting somebody off drugs. And then there's another side where it's sort of like harm reduction should have an ultimate goal of abstinence. And it sounds like from the way I hear you describing maybe your stance or the stance of, of most Russians, abstinence is the ultimate goal. Would you say that's the dominant view even among people who describe themselves as being in the harm reduction community? It's an interesting question because <laughs> uh, we do not have that many harm reduction programs left. And uh, practically, we are still trying to implement this use that the abstinence is not the ultimate goal. And so basically that we should meet people where they are. Uh, but uh, the dominant view is that, you, the, that the ultimate goal of any interventions or any rehabs should be... Uh, total and complete abstinence. Assuming you were of, you know, adult age during the time of communism, as I was, <laughs> was it better or worse uh, in terms of the, the rates of overdose, uh, the options available to people who were addicted or, or people who use drugs or people who abuse drugs? Because I think there's lots of people that use drugs that do not meet the criteria of addiction. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, we have a DSM-5 here that, that, that mm-hmm. you know, spells out a very specific 
range of, of factors that, that, you know, make up substance abuse disorder. So, so what, what has, assuming, you know, and, and you're old enough to remember what, what has changed and has it changed for the, for the worse? Mm, uh, well, actually I'm 39 years old. So I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, you were there, you were there when the, <laughs> when the wall came down. Yeah. I caught some Soviet union. <laughs> yeah. I was born in the Soviet union. Uh, but you know, the situation, uh, has, uh, drastically changed after the Afghan war, because actually mm -hmm. it was like a trigger for uh, Afghan heroine that started to come to Russia. And the 90s, they were really horrible. So basically we were not uh, the Soviet Union anymore. We became like uh, Russia, the Russian Federation. But since that time, a lot of different drugs has come into our country because before that, there was just I don't know, there were these poppies uh, and uh, people just used this uh, poppy substance, I forgot uh, what, what name is in English. Uh, it, it was a self-made... Uh, oh, like a poppy tea or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, poppy tea, right. And so basically it was like a self-made drug and uh, there were drug users, of course, uh, during the Soviet Union, but there were not a lot of them. Not, not like uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union and the end of the Afghan war. It sounds like what would happen very similarly here uh, in Vietnam uh, during our Vietnam war. Um, did you have a lot of GI, uh, well, we call them GIs, but mm -hmm. a lot of your, your troops coming back from Afghanistan with opioid dependencies? Uh, yes, of course, we have had, we had uh, such uh, troops, but I believe uh, there were not a lot of them. Uh, maybe not uh, so many as in the States, for example. But I think that the Afghan war, it was like... Uh, start, I don't know, when people saw that they could export heroin to Russia and uh, do it quite freely. And just because, uh, you know, these routes uh, started to appear and uh, because the border service uh, was uh, practically non-existent uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And so basically people were uh, very poor, I don't know. And when a lot of cheap heroin appeared, I just remember these times uh, because you could uh, practically buy it, I don't know, on the streets. Uh, it's unimaginable now. Now you have to, I don't know, now you have to try to <laughs> find drugs because uh, almost all of the deals, they are carried out via darknet, uh, mm -hmm. uh, via different messengers. And so basically the the sellers do not see their uh, buyers anymore. And in the 90s, it was really horrible. It seems like everybody was uh, <laughs> selling drugs. That's interesting. Um, so there's not street dealing or even phone dealing. Um, it's dark web. And, and there's been some evidence that when consumers can sort of vet online sellers that it, it that it could reduce overdoses there's been some papers uh, academic papers to that effect but then i guess it depends on how scrupulous and and how the, you know the um the range of services and competition available 
so uh, but you would say that, that that the dark web has taken over um, the Russian drug selling market for the most yeah, part. Yes, definitely. And uh, actually the largest drug selling platform, uh, it is called Hydra, they have their own, uh, uh, I don't know how to better call it, drug addiction service where they describe uh, how you can uh, how you can not to overdose uh, how you can keep your health so forth so basically they have a whole service and they have real doctors on their staff who they do wow yeah, yeah who, who consult clients uh, who consult buyers <laughs> on how to reduce harm uh, on how to prevent hie and so forth i think that's a really important point to make so I will will make sure to link to your to your paper on on that that you had sent me. Mm -hmm. um, Thank you. And um, I guess I would just um, ask. So how do people find you? Um, they they have to they have to proactively look for you um, on um, your services. And do you find that there's a stigma perhaps against against using services like that mm -hmm. um, that that, that, that that sort of like stymies your work a bit? Uh, yes, of course, there is stigma, and there is a lot of uh, stigma towards drug users themselves and towards problems that help them. Because if you, in our country, there is a view uh, that if you uh, use drugs, then you are a weak person. You do not have a disease, I don't know, you do not have a disorder, uh, you are just a weak and immoral person, and so be it. <laughs> so basically, and of course, people find us uh, mainly via social media, uh, via our website, via different messengers, uh, such as Telegram, for example, because uh, though it is technically <laughs> blocked in Russia, but uh, still this is the, I believe this is the third uh, most used uh, messenger in our country. This is a really paradoxical situation, but uh, it is what it is. And we have several uh, chats uh, for our clients. We have a Telegram channel, uh, and uh, we uh, attract people to our services via these uh, means of communication. Well, Alexei, thanks for joining us for today for this discussion. Is there anything you'd like to add um, that I may have missed that our listeners should know? I don't know, actually. The last words that I would like to share with you is uh, we are really similar. I, I mean, our countries are very similar. We are like <laughs> two, two, two sides of one coin. And I saw it myself when I uh, went to the States several years ago. And uh, I was really amazed by uh, how, I don't know, <laughs> how our politicians talk a lot about different things and about each other <laughs> and how usual people, I don't know, so-called average citizens, they just like, they do not listen to politicians and they just talk to each other. Uh, I mean, we had a lot of positive experiences in the States. And so a lot of people, when they found out that we were from Russia, they were like, wow, it's great. And uh, the same is uh, here in Russia to people who come from America, actually. So it's like, <laughs> I believe it's like a, it should be a motto. You should never listen to politicians and you should listen to, uh, I don't know, your average people. Your peers, yes. And I think a lot of our listeners will be surprised to know that, that Russia has no death penalty and that <laughs> needle exchange is legal all over that vast 
massive land of yours when we can't even go outside of our county. And, and um, I think that's a lesson, that's an important takeaway from this conversation. So um, thanks again for being on the show. And um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Narcotica. You can follow us on Twitter at Narcocast. We're also on other social medias like Facebook and YouTube. Narcotica is an independent production by Christopher Marath, Zachary Siegel, and Troy Farah. Our theme music is by Glassboy. Additional music is by Poddington Bear. And I'm your co-producer, Garrett. If you're a fan of our show and like what we do here, consider supporting us on Patreon. There's a lot of really good places to take your money right now, like the ACLU, NAACP, Doctors Without Borders. And so that's why we really appreciate the people who choose to support us on Patreon. Thank you for helping keep this show free from corporate influence. Give us a follow where you get your podcast. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, you name it. And be sure to have a very nice night.